Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome again to the program. While all this is going on, the evil forces of darkness that he's just baited, picked a fight with, are now manipulating, behind the scenes, manipulating the supposed rulers of this world. And let me name them, Herod, Pilate and Caiaphas. The forces of evil have been referred to in many different literary contexts as the dark side. Darkness is not something we relish. It's a place where we might consider bad, evil or harmful things to happen. Darkness is often a metaphor for a place without comfort where despair reigns. Having just celebrated Easter when the forces of darkness literally took the life of Jesus, we sit down to explore what happened in the spiritual realm. Don't be spooked. This will astound and invigorate you. Tonight, let's join Dr. Corbett for the second of the darkness series, The Conceit of Darkness. What a special day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you three things that hopefully you're gonna leave with today. And then I'm gonna pray and we're gonna have a look at that. And I'm, I wanna make that case. So here's, here's the three things, especially as we, th we think about Good Friday. And I'm not, trying, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything tricky today. I'm not trying to make something, pull a rabbit out of a hat, make scripture say what I want it to say. I just, I just wanna be faithful to God and to his word. But here's the three things that I hope we end up leaving with. Number one, if you really want to have your sins forgiven by God and you want peace with God, you only have one option. God has only supplied one option. And I know this might, for those perhaps who have grown up in a different part of the world where perhaps you were taught a different religion, let me tell you, there is only one option to peace with God and to have your sins forgiven, and that is through the one and only Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's option one. You only have one option. The second option that you have, you only have one option if you want to live a truly fulfilled, truly happy, truly meaningful life. And you only have one option, to follow Christ to follow Jesus Christ, the Saviour, and I hope to, in a moment, demonstrate that he is the Lord. And this is why you only have one option, and that's to follow him. And thirdly, if you accept options one and two that I've given you, which there's only one option in each, you only have one option to make every opportunity and take every opportunity that you have to share options one and two with as many people as you can so that's where we're going to end up so let's pray father we thank you so much that we live in a gospel enriched culture that doesn't even know it half the time and here we are today with a gazetted public holiday celebrating your entry into this world to atone for sin and sinfulness and we are so grateful not just that we get a day off to do it but that lord we come together as a witness to the 20 or so households of people around this building and also to the three or four households around every household represented here who saw them drive out of their driveway this morning wondering where are they going. And so Lord I pray that today our collective witness would bring much glory to the crucified Saviour who we will discover on Sunday is also the risen Saviour. 
So, Father, help me now as I present your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to do something in people's lives today. And as I mentioned in the e-news the other week, I have been hearing of remarkable stories of people who have experienced what I referred to in that e-news article as the wind of the Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus that you, you don't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. You, 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 may, you don't always see what the Holy Spirit's doing. And he said, so it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in people's lives and it will, I would say, probably astound us on that day when we get into heaven and we go, you're here, whoever that might be. Because, we, because I'll finish up sort of right near the end of this Good Friday message and, and I'll make that point out of the text. So this is what I want you to see. I want to recap a little bit in, in looking at this series. The, 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 it's, it's about the darkness series. And, and, and we are looking today at the, the conceit of darkness. And I'll, I'll make that case as we go through. But how, and this is about how the, the evil cosmic forces of darkness thought they had killed the Lord of life. And I just think of that sentence for a start. The Lord of life they tried to kill. So we, we looked at, in our previous session, the events leading up to what we call Holy Week, which is when Christ entered into Jerusalem, starting with Palm Sunday. And, the, and I, I wanted to point out to you that oftentimes we read Scripture and we read things that Israel did and by the genealogies and we go, boy, that's all pretty random. These names mean nothing to me. This sounds like I'm reading Marsh and it might as well be. I don't quite understand this. And as you begin to understand, this is what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. You come to understand God and his word. You realize none of the text that you thought was, well, that's not relevant to me. None of that text is actually irrelevant or pointless or I use the word random. None of it. It's all needed. It's all necessary. It's not one extra piece. It's not... It's not, one, it's not missing anything. It's all there and it's, it's amazing. I wanted to show you that when God called Israel, he describes the nation of Israel as his son. Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I called my son. And it was the prophet retelling the story of how God called the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And that's the book of Exodus. That's, that's what it's about. But, but notice that he called Israel his son. The Son of God is an expression used of those beings that God has called to represent Him. So before He created man, He created special heavenly creatures whom they would also designated the sons of God. And that's recorded in Genesis chapter 6. So this, this designation, the Son of God, is a, is a term of representing, imaging God to the world and when God called Israel out of Egypt to then go into the land the land the promised land which can be rendered the land and land in Greek is the word ge or it's actually pronounced gay but we we look at it as ge geography geology that's what that word land means and this will be important in a moment you'll see why that when he called them 
to cross over the Jordan through, and remember, he parted the waters, they went over dry, they went to Jericho, right in the middle of the land, I'll show you in a moment, unless you'd like an air map, uh, that then they proceeded in a rather unusual, militarily, on happy birthday, Gordon, for last week, by the way, uh, last, uh, we saw last week that they went from Jericho, they then crossed back over and went up into the territory of Bashan, B-A-S-H-A-N, Bashan. Now, this is odd. It's just, you look at it on a map and you can only really make sense of it. We, like when we read it in Deuteronomy chapter 3, it just sounds like, oh yeah, Jericho, Bashan. Yeah, but it's, you'll see in a moment why it was odd. It looks odd, but it's not odd. Because what happened, I mentioned the sons of God in Genesis 6. Those sons of God rebelled against God and abused the powers that God had given them to take on human form and sired children called the Nephilim, the giants. They were distorted because they weren't fully human. This happened another time, and at least one other time, and at least one other time. And they weren't called Nephilim then. They were those giants who were sired by wicked fallen heavenly creatures were known as Rephaim. And we know they're giants, as we saw in Deuteronomy. Their king, King Og, was when, they, when Israel was called to Bashan, it was the territory of the offspring of these fallen heavenly creatures. This is why when you read the Old Testament, you read, go in and kill every man, woman and child. It goes, whoa, that's a bit harsh. But what if they were half-breed evil creatures mixed with human DNA? Now, all of a sudden, it sounds like a science fiction movie. It sounds like The Walking Dead or something. It sounds like, you know, this is... And, that's, and so we read it, hopefully we read it differently. And God, we read, because I mentioned that when Jesus lived in Nazareth we looked at that scripture in Matthew it's where it says as the prophets had said he would be called a Nazarene not that they wrote it but they said it so the revelation that they they had what not all of it was written down and one of the revelations that was later written down called first Enoch tells us that these some of these fallen creatures, these heavenly creatures that rebelled against God, God confined them because they were so powerful they could have destroyed mankind very quickly. He confined them in a territory, the territory of Bashan and particularly at Mount Hermon. Now, I'd, you could come up to me afterwards and say, how come spiritual beings are confined to a geographic space? And I will go, I don't know. But I, in the same sense, I don't really understand alternating current that well, but I know you don't go and stick a fork in a PowerPoint. So there's things I can apprehend. I can see it. I can see that sticking a fork in a PowerPoint is not a great idea. But I can't actually tell you how your body electricity sort of goes out of whack with external electricity coming to it. I don't really fully understand the biomechanics of that. And so in the same way, I can see, I don't know why God confined these beings to Mount Hermon, a 9,000 foot high mountain with multiple peaks. I don't know why he did that, but I can see that he did. 
we saw, as we will see, that when Christ began his, his mission to the cross, he retraced the steps of ancient Israel where they were told to conquer the land. And it's, it's, it is fascinating. So I told you that maybe two weeks before Christ went into Holy Week, he took his disciples as far north in Israel as you could go to a place called Caesarea Philippi. So we read that in Mark. And I'm going to be anchoring, if, you, if you've got a physical Bible, you, you could benefit from anchoring your, your Bible open at about Mark 8, because we're going to have a look in Mark 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Then it says, And when Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? So we looked at this in our last session and, and I pointed out to you that when Simon Peter, having heard the other disciples say, some say you are Elijah, some say you are one of the other prophets, and then Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Somehow Jesus knew this was God the Father sending him a message, son, now's the time now's the time and that's when jesus responds to simon peter flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven has revealed it to you and might we understand that to be my father in heaven has revealed this to you as an indication to me that the time has begun what time well shortly after this and this is where i need to show you for those who've lodged multiple complaints about my air map so I'm going to point out on this map some things that we, we need to be aware of. All right, so notice this territory here, Bashan, and what we've got here is uh, the conquest of the land. So this is an, an, a map showing uh, what happened here. So, so here we have Og, this guy Og, king of the Amorites, and the battle with Joshua is here, Edre, and he, you can see the names of these places. They are names of... Um, the, the gods of Bashan. When I say gods, these are creatures that demanded worship and they actually had some supernatural power and that's why they were evil because they were created to worship the one who deserves worship. That's just by the way. And here we have Mount Hermon and I just need you to be aware of that and then I'm going to, uh, we'll just... We'll just note that there. It's a many-peaked mountain, 9,000 feet high, and that marks the most northern border. And Caesarea Philippi is about where that red dot is. Right? So that's, that's what we just need to know right now. And that's where Jesus went with his disciples about two weeks before he goes to the cross. Now, this territory was infiltrated by evil. I mean, there was these evil beings that God had confined to this territory continued to sire illegitimate children like half-breed children and it actually tells us that Og was one of them and so primitive Israel was meant to go into this territory and completely eradicate the demonically evil inspired peoples of Bashan and they didn't they didn't quite do it we read in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 1 then we turned this is the retelling of their venture and went up the way to Bashan and Og the king of Bashan came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edre. But the Lord said to me, do not fear him. Now, again, we, we've got to think, well, why would they? 
because these were big people. These were the giants that the 12 spies or the, the 10 spies had come back and said that they, they are too big for us. We can't do it. Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. We go down to verse 11. For only Og, the king of Bashan, after, they, after Joshua's armies had defeated the people and had done what God had said in, with that battle, only Og was left of the giants. Only Og was left of the Rephaim. And it says, And Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length and four cubits was its breadth according to the common cubit. So you can see this was a big guy. Nine cubits, that's a, that's a cubit from there to there. And, and Pete Dingamance told me that's fi about 50 centimetres. Uh, so multiply that by nine. Now, we come back to the Gospels. We're in Mark. We come to Mark chapter 9. We've, we've seen in Mark chapter 8, he's taken them to Caesarea Philippi. And we can see here it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel. And he was transfigured before them. Now, this is the territory of these evil beings that the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament and uh, some of the, the literature that was written down during what's called the intertestamental period, such as First Enoch. It tells us that these wicked beings, the most powerful of them, were confined to this territory and particularly to Mount Hermon. And Jesus goes right into it, right up Mount Hermon, right there. And, and I showed you that even today you, you can go there and tourist guides will show you this is... This is the temple that, of the son of Zeus, which was the temple to, to Caesar Augustus. This is, this is the temple to Pan, the goat god. In fact, Bashan comes from the word serpent. So you can see the evil stains in all, in, in all of this. And so we have this backdrop to Christ going up this mountain into the belly of wickedness, so to speak. And there he's transfigured before them. Now that light, which is what transfigured means, wasn't shining on him, it was shining out of him. And it wasn't for the benefit of Peter, James and John. It was a statement to the powers of darkness in that territory. I'm here, fellas. And as I quoted from Braveheart, I've gone to pick a fight. <laughs> and pick a fight he did. He was baiting the enemy. And now, this is what I want you to see, because unless you understand the geography, what we're now going to be reading, and I'll be, I'll be pointing out to you, doesn't make sense, but the journey to the cross was southward. Southward. So he went on from there and passed through Galilee. Now we've got Mount, here's my air map, Mount Hermon, Bashan over here, and now he's coming down Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, note this, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So he's gone to Mount Hermon. Just before there, Caesarea Philippi, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Most powerful revelation anyone can ever get, a revelation of who Jesus really is. He's not a God among gods. He's the only God. And here we have Jesus now with one thing on his mind. I'm on mission now. 
I'm going to the cross and this is what they're going to do to me. I'm going to be mistreated. This is what they're going to do to me. He, I will be killed. And then three days later, I'll rise again from the dead. So I want you to notice that. I just, just, just get this. This is on his mind and he is telling his disciples this. So, while all this is going on, the evil forces of darkness that he's just baited, picked a fight with, are now manipulating, behind the scenes, manipulating the supposed rulers of this world. And let me name them, Herod, Pilate and Caiaphas. Herod, the Roman appointed king of Galilee, Pilate, the governor of Jerusalem, Judea, and Caiaphas, the supposed ruler of the people. And that's how, that's how Pilate refers to them, as the rulers of the people. So they're the rulers. Now, what, what has Jesus just told his disciples? I showed you. By the way, we've come here, we're in Galilee, we're going to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated. The other Gospels tell us that he tells more detail. The, high, the chief priests are going to do this to me. I'm going to be scorned. I'm going to be spat at. I'm going to, this is going to happen to me. And then I will, be, I will be killed. I will be crucified. So what would you expect the next thing out of the mouth of the disciples would be? Here it is, the next verse, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum in Galilee. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, he knows what they were discussing, but let's flush it out, shall we? But they kept silent for on the way, they had been arguing with one another. Just get this, what they've just been told by Jesus on the way. They'd been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And I'm reading this going, they were what? But this is important to realize, the veil over people's eyes, even those closest to him. It's not like he didn't tell them. And this is what he did. And can I tell you that we, as your pastor, I do not want any of us to be veiled in how we see Christ. He sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And you'd think, well, that's clear. Now we've got it. We go into the next chapter and they were, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Remember which direction they're going? They're going south, going up to Jerusalem. Hmm. Is that just a northern hemisphere thing? No, it's actually telling us something else. And Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid and, and taking the twelve again he began to tell them what was to happen to them saying I want you to know we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles the Romans and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise now that's pretty clear and to really put the icing on the cake Jesus tells them this for even the son of man came not 
to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me run ahead a little bit in the story. You know, they go to Jerusalem. He says, now go and prepare the upper room. They go up to the upper room. They have their meal. And what's the first thing they start fighting about? Who's the greatest? And you remember what Jesus did? While they're arguing, he takes his coat off. He grabs a towel, wraps it around him. And they're arguing, and it would have been, I would have been the first one to notice because this is not to be tested, to be verified, but I have very ticklish feet. It's not a challenge. The case is settled. But this is what Jesus is now doing with the disciples' feet, and eventually one of them notices. This is, this is odd. So let me come back to the map again I, w I want you to notice we've gone from up here Caesarea Philippi and we've come down through here and we're coming right down into we're, we're now coming to this territory here Jerusalem that's heading south let's let's have a look at it a little bit more zoomed in I want to point out a couple of things here to you that along the way we're going to see he does he heals a blind man here and as he's coming closer and closer down to Jerusalem he's, doing, he's delivering people of demonic oppression just over here like two kilometres this way so about there is Bethany. Have you been to Bethany, Jerry? Did you go there? Yeah. So just outside, just outside Jerusalem, Bethany is there. Beth, Bethphage, Bethany and You'll see in a moment why that's, that's significant. So it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And I just want to tell you that Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do? And he says, I want to see. And he gives him his sight. Now, I'm not, I'm not going, that, that's not my message. I'm just saying, notice what he's doing as he's coming down. He's delivering people, he's healing people, he's, well, we'll see in a moment. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples. Now, all I'm doing there is just showing the geography. He's come down. What we don't see is that they go to Bethany and that's when Mary and Martha come out and, and, and say, well, at least Martha does, if only you'd been here four days ago. Where have you been? Well, I've been doing some business up in Mount Hermon, but he doesn't actually tell her that. But even now, Lord, I know you can do, I can do whatever. And that's when he raises Lazarus from the dead. So notice this, extraordinary signs and wonders are happening on his way to the cross. But then we have this, as he's about to head from Bethany into Jerusalem. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now you might be thinking, that is completely random. What on earth is that doing in there? Poor fig tree. Although, uh, yeah, I know. 
And they came to Jerusalem. Now, I'm just, again, I'm just showing geography. But when he did that to the fig tree, in the Old Testament, the fig tree is, just, is used as a metaphor for Israel. He's come at a time when it's in leaf. Now, I don't know much about fig trees, except they're blooming annoying. And when they have leaf, shortly after that comes fruit. Now, he's come and he's saying, I've come and there's no fruit. In other words, I've come to you and you have not accepted me. And he says, may no one eat fruit of you again. And we know the story, we go on. I'm, I was really just showing the geography, but let's make this point. The next time they see that fig tree, which was like the next day, it's a twig in the ground, like not a sign of life. And they looked at it and the scripture says, and they marveled. How on earth did that die so quickly? I mean, fair dinkum. I poison grass and it takes seven days for it to turn yellow. Jesus says one word and phew. So it was remarkable. And it was a metaphor for you were called to be the sons of God and to represent me to the world. I'm now come to fulfill that role. And you will do this to me. Remember, he's told his disciples, this is what you will do to me. You think you have power to take my life. I'm the Lord of life. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. In a moment, I'm going to show you in fact, let's jump in now. I'll just make this point. Christ's southward journey to the cross was marked by that journey southward. Dramatic healings, dramatic miracles, dramatic deliverances and the resurrection of Lazarus. The powers of darkness are now ticked. They are ticked. And they ramp up their manipulation of the quote-unquote rulers of this world. And who are the rulers of this world? Herod, Pilate, Caiaphas, representing the chief priests. So what's going on in the spiritual realm? And this is what I guess I want to get across to you, that while we see this just with natural eyes, and we can imagine with natural eyes, if we could see into the spiritual realm, we would see these evil forces have come down from Bashan and they are doing some wicked, cunning, manipulative things. And that, by the way, is the essence of witchcraft. Manipulating others. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. These are religious people, right? Religious people... Trust me, I am one. We don't generally go around thinking, oh, I disagree with them. How can I kill them? I mean, if Michael Dixon was on the pastoral team, we'd have some, some problems because there would be people, like you often say, if we could only smite. But we cannot smite, Michael. I hope you're listening. <laughs> These religious people are, are, are thinking and speaking evil. This is not right. But you can see what's going on in the spiritual realm. They were susceptible to the manipulation of demonic forces. But was it enough? Was it enough? 
because the closer you get to Good Friday, and he's still alive. How do we kill this bloke? Wow. I can imagine one of these demonic beings going, I know. Let's see which of his disciples we could nab. Who could we manipulate among his disciples? The powers of darkness then sought to secure their wicked scheme by infiltrating a disciple of Christ. And Luke tells us this. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests how he might betray him to them. And as soon as it was morning... Note these forces, Herod, Pilate, chief priests, now Judas. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Herod, Pilate, chief priests. Hmm. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction... He sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Oh, what are the chances? And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see him do some trick, to see him do some sign by him. And Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. If we could see in the spiritual realm, we would see some of the foulest, most grotesque, most beautiful beings who could trick you into believing they were angels of light right there, jibing these soldiers on, hit him harder, do it again, humiliate him, don't let him wear anything, strip him naked. And then Pilate called the chief priests and the rulers and the people. Jumping down to verse 21. But this was their response. They kept shouting at Pilate. Crucify him. Crucify him. The only one of these rulers who realized he was being manipulated was Pilate. He said, this man hasn't done anything wrong. Why do you want to kill him? Added to this. Pilate's wife comes to him and says, I have just had the most horrible night's sleep. I'm telling you, I had a dream about this guy. You do not want to mess with this guy. Leave him alone. Let him go. So he knew he was being manipulated and he still did it. And so he handed them over. Pilate ordered his soldiers to take him, scourge him, which means with whips, beat the snot out of him and crucify him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And these demonic beings have now got two convicted criminals on either side of Jesus. Do you reckon they were easy targets for manipulation? You bet. Absolutely they were. And in fact, for hour on end... They are giving Jesus curry. They are just insulting him and mocking him and ridiculing him on both sides. 
And if we could see into the spiritual realm, we would see demonic forces right there, right at the cross, right around, jiving them on too. Even these two guys on the cross. Huh. Psalm 22, David speaks, describing the events of the crucifixion. And he talks about, not a bone of my body is broken. I count all my bones. They cast lots for my clothing. And then we, we jump down to this rather intriguing verse. But let me just point out that it's Psalm 22 and Psalm 27. They, they almost parallel each other in talking about the dying Messiah whose death was bearing our sins. And then David says in Psalm 22 verse 12, this really odd verse. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. What? What? Can you see what, the, what David is telling us that in the spirit, what's going on? The forces of darkness that are confined to Bashan have come down and they are jibing this. They are manipulating this. This is all a spiritual contest. They think that they can kill the Lord of glory, the Lord of life. Huh. And there they are. There they are. And, and David tells us in this psalm, by the way, this is not the end of the series. We're going to have a look in the next installment at the last part of Psalm 22, which, oh, man, you, you want to make sure you've got your tickets to get to that. But little... Could these forces, these wicked, evil forces have known that by putting the Lord to death, he would conquer death itself. Death and leading up to death, humiliation, shame, scorn, loneliness, rejection, all of those things that Christ experienced on his way to the cross and then cut, just top it off with death itself. And they go, yes, we've won. He's dead. We've got him. And Paul says this, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8, none of the rulers of this age, and I don't think he's talking about Herod, Pilate and Caiaphas. He's talking about these bulls, these beasts of Bashan, these wicked, evil spirits who in Ephesians he calls the ones who have principalities and they have power. They are the evil forces of darkness, he calls them. And note this, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have done it if they'd known because it marked their doom. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says this, when Jesus died, when he died on that cross, when he rose from the dead, as we'll see on Sunday, as he ascended back to his father to receive his glory again, as he was coronated at that point, it tells us in Revelation, as he sent the Holy Spirit 10 days later, he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame and he triumphed over them in him being in God his Father, in him. And I hope that you here, and I'll be, I'll be back to closing prayer in a moment, but I hope that you, you now, 
You who fear demonic spirits, you who fear evil forces, you who are children in your thinking of spiritual things will grow up and recognize Jesus Christ is Lord. No more veil. He's Lord. Would you please stand? And if you believe it, we need to sing it. Come on. Thanks, Harley.
bless your name. Father, we thank you that you, you not only sent your son into this world, he came into this world willingly and gladly for us. And that, Lord, he perhaps for many of us, we've not realized when the battle began. And we might think it began the, the night Oh, before he was taken to the cross but Lord I hope now we can see that battle began weeks before that and that and that all of the way all of the way he was displaying that he is Lord he is Lord he is Lord he is Lord over every force every power he has made a, a triumph over the enemies of God now not will he has and that we are the fragrance of his victory to this world. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take, as I mentioned, option one. There's forgiveness in no one else. It's not found in religion. It's not found in going to church. It's not found in having Christian, Catholic, Protestant parents. It's had in having a relationship with Jesus as our saviour. Not mediated by a priest, but given to us directly by Jesus himself. This is what your word says, and your word cannot be broken. And so now, Lord, I pray for those who have maybe been trusting in themselves. And Lord, as we read in Scripture, the further north people went, closer to Mount Hermon, the more proud they became, the more idolatrous they became, the more sexually promiscuous they became the more hateful of women and children they became. But when people gave their lives to Christ, all of that changed. All of that changed. And now, Lord, I pray for those perhaps in this moment where we do business, eternal business right now, right now. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer, a prayer of surrender. It's as simple as this. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. You make that prayer your prayer. And it is the beginning of what Jesus called a new life. And now, Lord, I pray that you would give each of us the confidence to live under the Lordship of Christ. That even as we think of the Tasmania celebration where we are going to declare to all in sundry that Jesus Christ is Lord and in him and only in him is hope found. That Lord you would help us to be inviters of others to come to the well of hope, the fountain of living water. So Father today we give you thanks for this Good Friday. We thank you that Jesus Christ died and conquered death he is lord now may we know the love of god the father the grace of the lord jesus christ and the supernatural power and fellowship with the holy spirit in jesus name and everyone said Amen. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, in the wake of the crucifixion, the forces of darkness may well have believed they had the victory. But Jesus died to demonstrate his superiority over the powers of the air. He died in the way that he did to undeniably conquer death and silence the conceit of the forces of darkness. More from Dr. Corbett next week. 
Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.